Hello, and welcome to the Aspire to Be podcast. I'm your host, Julie Kropp Gorelick. My guest, Tiffany Utz, is a friend and also a family member who has a very pragmatic view of the world. Her work as a teacher, an elementary school principal, and an administrator gives her a window into the world that is about so much more than the educational system. Tiffany didn't initially set out to become an educator like the rest of her family, but there was no denying that education was her calling. Tiffany pivoted to a new role just recently as an education consultant conducting leadership training courses for local community colleges and other organizations. It's pretty rare for someone to dedicate an entire career to servant leadership. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your path, Tiffany. Welcome to Aspire to Be. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, certainly servant leadership is something we don't often hear a lot about, so I'm looking forward to digging into that today. Mm -hmm. But let's take it back. Obviously, as I teased, we're, we're also family members. <laughs> we are cousins. Our fathers were brothers, yes. or our brothers. Um, but take me back to the beginning. Talk to me a little bit about your background. So I guess when I you know, initially go back and look at what I wanted to do as far as careers go, um, I grew up in a family of educators. My mom taught for... 42 years, and my dad was an elementary principal, so that was my world. It's what I grew up with. It's what I saw. Um, it's what was modeled for me. And so, you know, when I turned 18 and wanted to go away to college, I did what every typical 18-year-old <laughs> does, and I decided to go to the school that my parents don't want me to go to and to major in anything except education. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I really did not. I think when I was younger, I wanted to be a teacher. But, um, you know, that, that, that teenage part of getting out on my own, I really wanted to do something that set me apart from the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. And so um, I went to the University of Maryland my freshman year, a school that was much bigger than my hometown. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was pretty traumatic at one point. And um, I did everything but education. I actually changed my major five different times. Wow. So the following year, I did transfer, and I think it was a lot of soul-searching, a lot of reflection, and um, it's something that came natural to me, and I just decided, okay, I'm just going to go into education, and I never looked back after that. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds very familiar to my own path, as I'm mm -hmm. sure you remember as a child. I swore to my parents I would never go into business because, I mean, why would I do that? <laughs> That's right. all I've ever done. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so it seemed like it worked out well for both of us. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so tell me about your first job. So so once you left college and you entered into education, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that experience. So my first teaching job was in a fifth grade classroom. Um, I was in Fauquier County, which is in Virginia. Um, and I actually started after the school year began. Back then in the 90s, yes, it was 1990, <laughs> um, it was very difficult to find teaching positions, um, unlike it is today. Mm. And so... Uh, it, I had several interviews. I had several opportunities to go to different places, but again, it was the big city, which is not really what I wanted at the time. And so I s decided to wait, and it wasn't until mid-September that I accepted this position. And I was told I was going to go into a classroom. It was going to be a primary classroom for special ed. Keep in mind, I'm not certified to teach special ed, but also in the special education world, Sometimes you do what you have to do because there are so very few special ed educators out there. Mm -hmm. So I took the position thinking it was primary, which would have been K through three. And I walked in the very first day and it was a group of fourth and fifth graders, 10 boys and one girl. Oh my gosh. And no instructional assistant. 
um, my very first year teaching. And let me tell you, it, it was an eye-opener. Um, many moments where I thought, what have I done? Mm-hmm. What have I gotten myself into? Um, a lot of phone calls home, a lot of nights crying, um, just very unhappy, very unsettled, and mm-hmm. I just did not feel confident at all. Um, and so at the end of that year, I pretty much told the administration that either I go into the regular classroom or I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was given an opportunity in that county to go to a different school um, in a third grade position where I made some lifelong friends and really felt that was the beginning of my career path. And what grade was that? That was just third grade. Just third grade. Mm-hmm. So you spent 24 years in the classroom mm-hmm. overall, right? Mm-hmm. Teaching grades one through five. Correct. Which is an awful long time, and I'm sure you've seen education change or mm-hmm. systems change over those years. Um, and tell me a little bit about how the experience in the classroom really led to this, the leadership opportunities that, that you took on. Well, I will, I will say that, you know, a lot of people will ask me, you spent so much time in the classroom, why did you wait so long to become a leader? And, and the truth of it is I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are teachers in the classroom that are some of our best leaders. Mm-hmm. And that, that field of teacher leadership is always an opportunity. So I took every opportunity I could to serve on curriculum committees, to um, really take on some active roles in, in leading teams and being involved in community activities as well as school activities. So even though I spent that much time in the classroom, I still took on those leadership responsibilities and and was always eager to do that. Mm -hmm. I always felt that the minute I became completely comfortable in the classroom and felt like I knew everything there was to know, that it was time to leave um, because I'm a true believer in lifelong learning Mm -hmm. and that I am a lifelong learner. And, and that's just been embedded in me in growing up. That, that's how I was raised. Um, so, yeah, those 24 years that I was in the classroom, I saw a lot. I saw a lot change. I saw children change. I saw, you know, families change and the dynamics of what that looks like. Yeah. Well, and you bring up something you had just mentioned about how even as a teacher, you know, not being in necessarily a formal leadership role, mm-hmm. you are still a leader. And I think for those of our listeners who are in whether it's a, a new position mm-hmm. or they're just starting their career or or transitioning to their next steps, it's understanding that that leadership doesn't just start when you get to the top, Absolutely. Right? It's part of that journey from the time Absolutely. that you start until you go. So, so certainly as you entered into the leadership roles, I know that um, you worked in some environments as a principal that that challenged you um, and, and, and provided to your growth as well. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what you experienced when you became the leader and, and sort of what adversity you faced. So I think going into that specific leadership role, it was definitely a change in dynamics um, and experiences. And of course, growing up in a household where my dad was an admired principal, um, I felt that I had very big shoes to fill. And um, so my very first year, I spent as an elementary assistant principal in an elementary school of over 1,100 students. Mm. Um, Huge school, over 145 staff members. Um, I had a lot to learn, Mm -hmm. and I was eager to learn. Um, And it it was... it was a very enjoyable year. I'll be honest, I tell people all the time that assistant principal job was really a nice gig mm-hmm. because you were not in charge of everything. Right. <laughs> Just it, enough. <laughs> it didn't end at me. It, it was, you know, it was a very nice piece to have. And then um, I did that for 13 months, 
the October of the following year, I was in that role and my principal came to me and um, said the superintendent's in the office and I'm not supposed to be telling you this. She caught me in the hallway. I was down in, in another part of the building and I remember she came and grabbed me and and literally ran into the stage area where the cafeteria was behind the curtains and said, the superintendent's in the office. You need to come in. You've got to be prepared. He's going to offer you this position at this other school. And I'm like, what are you talking no about? <laughs> and she's like, you're going to become, you know, he's going to ask you to go to this school as the principal. Wow. And I was, I was so befuddled. I didn't know what was going on. Mm. And so she was trying to prep me for that. We walked into the office together and, Sure enough, the superintendent said, I want to move you to this school. Mm. I need to tell you what's going on. You can't tell anyone. But the principal's being charged with um, abuse of children oh. or a child and um, will not be returning for now because it's under investigation and I need you to go. Well, when the superintendent asks you to do something, you go. You go. Yeah. Um, and so otherwise, it's career suicide. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay. And then it was a Thursday, and he said, you can't tell anyone. And I... That has to be difficult. That was very difficult. And, of course, mm -hmm. I very first thing I said, please tell me I can tell my husband. Right. <laughs> He's exactly. like, yes, but outside of that, you can't tell anyone. And so I left that building that I had been very close to a lot of people without telling anyone mm. that I wouldn't be back on that Monday. Um, and then I walked into a building where I knew absolutely no one. And you are the leader that's replacing. I was the leader, and it was a toxic environment, yeah. and that staff was broken. Mm. And it was heartbreaking to see how broken they were. I felt so ostracized on so many different levels and really questioned, if it, you know, why am I here? What, is, what am I supposed to actually do here? Um, and so I really had to dig deep into myself and also into other people to really sustain me through that. So certainly coming into that leadership position, you were really challenged on multiple fronts. You had a staff that didn't know you, didn't mm -hmm. know you were coming. They maybe felt as though they were not, um, they didn't have the information about why you were there, but then also parents and the children that were at the school. Tell me about how you mitigated that. What what things did you put in place to to try mm -hmm. to move people back to the middle? So I'm a firm believer that um, when you walk into a building and you're a leader, that you give your staff or your employees intent. Mm -hmm. And it, it's that intent that builds your culture. Mm -hmm. And so one of the very first things I did is I just, I was quiet. I sat back and I watched and I observed. Mm -hmm. And um, I took the opportunity to meet with every single staff member mm -hmm. Um, individually and get to know them a little bit on more of a personal level, but also learn more about their fears and their uncertainties. And I didn't want the gossip. I didn't want to hear about what was happening. That's yeah. not what the purpose of that was. It was the, what do you think we need here um, as a building to move forward, mm -hmm. to make it a place of, of growth and a place where our students and our families want to be. So, and then it took time. It, I, I always like to say we spent a year sitting there singing Kumbaya yeah. <laughs> uh, because we didn't focus on, on student achievement at that point. Mm -hmm. We didn't focus necessarily on instruction. Mm -hmm. We focused on healing and um, coming together. And it took some time to do that because there were some people that had to go mm -hmm. and had to leave in order for that complete healing to happen. Sure. And that was uncomfortable. Yes. But it was necessary. And so after spending that year of really trying to build 
cohesiveness and a family type atmosphere and time just having fun together, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things started happening. And one of the things that did start happening was student achievement. Because I'm a true believer that if, if my teachers weren't happy, my students aren't happy. Sure. And it, it all builds on, and our parents aren't happy then. So it all yep. builds on each other. And it took time to build those relationships, but it was all based on those relationships. Well, and I love that you took that year to listen and to learn, because I know even in business and, and even though as a leader, you may be a leader in education, it is very akin to what we experience in business is that you weren't quick to make changes. And as we know, people... Mm-hmm. I know I'm resistant to change Mm -hmm. most of the time. And so I think, you know, by giving them that opportunity to get familiar with you, but then also, as you said, the byproduct of that was student achievement uh, without that actually being the goal. Correct. And this is something we sort of teed up at the beginning about servant leadership and, and really what that is. So for our listeners who don't know, sort of the basis for that, walk us through what servant leadership is and really Mm -hmm. what you're focused on now. So it was a term coined back in the 70s um, by Robert Greenleaf, and then Ken Blanchard did a good amount of work on it. Um, but it is pretty much what what it says. It, it's the heart of service. And it's, you know, when I look at the business world, um, not so much the education world, but even looking at the business world, you know, it's, it's, it's meeting the needs of those that you serve. Mm-hmm. And it's not working with them. It's serving them in a way. And I'll give you a real quick example um, I was in my building, and one of my assistant principals from the other building um, had called me just to check in on me because I was relatively new there and to see how I was doing, knowing in this new role it was going to be a bit challenging. And um, she heard things in the background, and she's like, what are you do-? It was at the end of the school day. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm vacuuming. I'm, I'm down a custodian. I'm in yep. the classroom vacuuming. Yep. And I didn't think anything of it. And she just said, well, that's servant leadership if I've ever, ever heard it. Mm. And I thought, well, no, it's just what you do because that's just what I did. That's what I, that's right. what I grew up knowing. Right. And then she actually came on board the following year as my assistant principal. And wouldn't you know it, we had an evening event one night and all the custodians were there, but after the parents and the families and the students sure. had left. It's probably a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. And there she is with that vacuum thing mm-hmm. on her back, and she's vacuuming the carpet. Yeah. And I never asked her to do that. Mm-hmm. No one ever asked her to do it. So it's contagious. When people see it happening, Sure, it builds your culture. Sure. Um, and so that, in a nutshell, that's what it is. It's just serving in a way that is not just productive, but is also heartfelt. No, absolutely. Well, and I mean, certainly as you've transitioned outside of the classroom, I know you're now um, starting your own business as a as a consultant and talking with different organizations, mm-hmm. some that may be educators, but some that may not be mm-hmm. educators. So talk to me a little bit about what you're excited about as kind of your next stage. I know you're, you're supposed to be retired, but... Yeah, I sort, of have, I sort of have my hand in a lot of different pots right now, yeah. um, which I think is good. I've only been technically retired for five months. And so um, I did take two months off pretty much doing nothing. <laughs> well, sort of nothing. Um, but then one of my greatest desires really is to share what I've learned mm-hmm. over the years with, with other leaders or with aspiring leaders. That has been... Um, something that's really been placed on my heart. And it's something that I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. 
not saying that I have all the answers. In no way do I have all of the answers. But I think when you share experiences and when you have that kind of dialogue and those kind of conversations, if you don't have answers, you can come to some some pretty great problem-solving techniques where you can arrive at some, mm-hmm. some good answers. And so um, I have been working right now on a part-time basis for a few different companies and also for a, um, a community college where I'm doing some some leadership work. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it hasn't just been with educators. <laughs> it's been with different service um, organizations. Sure. And right now that is where I'm getting a, really a, a great amount of fulfillment, um, both personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always been a true believer that I'm going to be where God wants me to be, mm-hmm. that he'll place me where my time is supposed to be at that point. And right now that is where I feel led. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of work um, with John Gordon Companies, Mm -hmm. who is, um, in my opinion, a tremendous um, leader. He works a lot with different sports teams, with motivational speaking. Sure. Um, And then I, two years ago, became a certified trainer for the John Gordon Companies for the power of positive leadership. And um, I really, really enjoy that work as well and, and hope to build on that and what that might look like. Well, and along the way, as you're meeting with organizations, whether they're education or in the mm-hmm. service space, what are things that you've learned that maybe surprised you about whether it's their environment or what they're faced with, or or did it really align with some of the experiences that you've had as well? I think what I've learned in many aspects is that not everyone truly understands the impact that service can have. Mm-hmm. Um and what that philosophy looks like. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you're in an environment, or I think our, our culture puts us in environments where it's, I need to do what I need to do to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have probably lost some opportunities because I don't have that mentality, and sure. that's not my personality, but that's okay. A lot of what we talk about on Aspire to Be is how do you inspire change? Um, and so I would ask you that question as they do all of our listeners is, what have you done in your roles as a leader to inspire change in others? First of all, I think, you know, what I, what I said earlier is I sit back and I do listen, but I also think it's very important as a leader that um, you're able to build ownership and buy-in among your staff or among your employees. And part of doing that is giving them an active voice. Mm-hmm. And and one of the ways that I was able to do that was very simple Um it was really asking for what their advice was or their opinions or how do you think we should move forward with this? And I had one staff member once who came to me and said, why are you asking us this? And it was very simple. I was shocked I was even asked, why are you asking this? (laughs) But in the environment they had been in before, they were never treated as a professional. It was a dictatorship in in essence. And so I think it was just the point of, of recognizing that we're all professionals uh, one of the very first things, I'll just give this as an example. One of the very first things I did in, in the building that I was in is we all had parking spots, at least administrators and the secretary did. And so you had parking spot for the principal, one for the assistant principal, one for the secretary. And one of the very first things I said was I want those signs torn down. I wow. want them down. And my secretary wasn't happy at first. <laughs> <laughs> she came around, though. God bless her. Um and I remember having one of our paraprofessionals, who's one of our aides, come to me right after that was done and said to me, 
you have no idea what that means to me. Mm-hmm. And I flat out asked, well, why? Why does, and I was hoping she was going to go this of route. Of course. And she said, because it shows me that I'm where you are, that you're not so far above me. And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, so important. It doesn't matter what role you have in this building. Mm-hmm. Your role is of value. Mm-hmm. It's of importance Mm -hmm. and there's purpose behind it, regardless of whether you're vacuuming the floors, wiping down the tables or, or leading a staff of 140 staff members. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you have that kind or you build, you try to build that, that kind of culture and that kind of environment, it takes time, but hopefully eventually it'll grow Mm -hmm. um, into that becomes just the general atmosphere of what is expected. Well, and I think what's interesting is 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 obviously for those of our, our listeners um, or those who are watching the podcast today is that we do come from a family mm-hmm. of leaders, whether it's small business owners, whether it's educators, whether it's leaders in other industries, um, whether the private or you know public sector, um, and I think that as we were growing up, we saw our family, our parents, our aunts, our right. uncles. Um, all sort of instill those values in us, that mm-hmm. it wasn't just one person's job, but it was sort of the whole, right? Mm-hmm. It was all of our jobs to be um, part of, of the process. So what would you say that experience, because I know we've talked about this offline too, about how when you look at our family and you look at all of us who have, mm-hmm. you know, the, the second generation, if you will, that are that are now at our age, right. um, at our stage in our career, that when you look around, every one of us is impactful and, and successful in our fields, but we still sort of fall back on what we were taught as children. What has that meant for you as you've sort of built your career? It's been the foundation. Mm-hmm. It's just like anything that you build, you have to have a layer of foundation that you believe in. Um, I always believe that, you know, earlier, uh, even in today's conversation, my sister had mentioned to me about, you know, remembering your why. Mm. And I, I do think that it's important to remember your why, but it's not so much just remembering your why, but it's believing in it. Yeah, and, you know, the one story, not even really a story, the one thing I remember that's very impactful for me is when my father passed away. Um, he was the principal of a school, the school that I went to elementary school at. He wasn't the principal at that time when I was there. But later on, once I was older, he became the principal there. And it has since been torn down, um, no longer there. But one of the floral arrangements that he received was from the staff at Johnson Heights. Oh, wow. And that staff had dissolved, but it was past staff. I mean, it, it had been, that's, that, that building had been torn down for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so the impact that he had on individuals yep. um, very often is what grounded me mm-hmm. in what I was doing. Yes. Through the turmoil and the frustrations, it was grounded in that foundational um, belief that I was living a purpose and that there was a purpose in what I was doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better than that. Mm-hmm. I think that's so true. And I think, you know, for a lot of folks, they might meet adversity or they might meet challenges and they might um, they might not necessarily have the belief that they'll get there. But I think the one thing we always talk about is that I don't know that I've ever, when I've faced adversity, whether it was in business or, or throughout my career, even once I started my business, is that... There's never been a moment where I've wanted to quit 
or thought I would quit or thought mm-hmm. I couldn't make it through it, it, the thought never actually entered into my mind. I mean, do you find that the same for you? I mean, I find that I'm already looking for two or three different solutions to sort of find my way out of it. Um, and that's certainly gotten better over time. But. Right. And I can't say that there were not moments I wanted to quit because there were. Yeah. There were moments I wanted to walk away and say, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But even though I wanted that at certain points, it was never really an option. Right. It, it was something that um, I never felt that that was the answer to anything. Yeah. And so you just move forward. But what's interesting, and I think what's so encouraging, is when you do move forward, you can't see it in the moment. Mm-hmm. But the, the personal and professional growth that comes as a result yes. of that. Yes is priceless. Yes. Well, they also say that when you're the most uncomfortable, you are growing, Mm -hmm. whether it's in, you know, personal or professionally, that's sort of the root of it. And it sort of leads into your next journey as becoming a small business owner yourself and really jumping in. I mean, are you excited, scared? What are your thoughts? Scared? Mm -hmm. I would say the first thought comes, I don't, because I just don't know what this looks like. I have always been in the field of education. Mm -hmm. And that has been my comfort zone. It's what I know. It's what I've always done. And so venturing off into something that looks a little bit different um, is, I don't want to say frightening because it's not frightening. It's just uncertain. Mm -hmm. But I also know that if if it's not to be, then it won't and something else will take its place. And that's okay. Um, I just want to continue to make a difference. That is what my number one goal always was ever ever since I stepped foot in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Whether it be as a classroom teacher, whether it be as a leader of a building, um, in whatever avenue I'm in, I just want to make a difference and, and have some kind of impact on other people's lives. So I'm ambivalent as to what it looks like. Because I just don't know, but I'm also excited Yeah, because it's a new chapter and it's, it's a new version of, of what I can sort of make it to be. I've always worked, you know, to be in a classroom or to be in a school setting, you're pretty much tied to a specific schedule. And I have really in the last few months enjoyed just really sort of doing what I feel led to do on my own timeline. Yeah. And that's been foreign to me, but also very exciting. Well, and if and if you ever need any questions, you certainly have surrounded yourself by groups of people that have businesses, so you know who right. to call. Exactly, I do. <laughs> so, so as we sort of wrap up here this, this afternoon, I think what would be helpful for, for those listeners who maybe, whether they're educators or whether they're in their career or even in a leadership role, mm-hmm. what is some of the advice that you would give them as sort of they look forward? What are some of the, the nuggets of wisdom that you can share with them? I think the very first thing that comes to my mind and my advice would be is to surround yourself with people who believe in you, mm. who support you, who will hold you up when everybody else is tearing you down. Mm. Um, because I'll be you know, very upfront. There is absolutely no way I could have taken the journey I did. Um, I, I will say the last 10 years definitely as a school leader, but throughout my entire career, Without my greatest cheerleader, which was my husband, is my husband, sorry, yeah. still cheerleading me on. Um, yes, John, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, even though we, we live in two different worlds as far as our careers go, mm-hmm. um, he has always supported me without 
without reservation. I also think it's really important that you have people in your lives that hold you accountable. When I left the classroom and went into the field of, of administration, I never wanted to lose sight of what it was like to be in the classroom because yeah. that always bothered me. So there true. would be administrators that maybe taught for six years. Mm -hmm. And um, I had one experience where I was in a building as a classroom teacher and my principal had six years experience and my assistant principal had three. I'm not saying they can't be good leaders, mm -hmm. but that was really difficult um, to really take instructional advice when you don't know you what don't it's know. like to be in the classroom. And so one of the things that I did is I surrounded myself be, with people that would hold me accountable to my actions. Mm -hmm. And that if I started talking or saying things that sounded like I forgot what it was like in the classroom, they called me out on it. Mm -hmm. um, and they reminded me of that. So I think it's, it's very important when you go into a leadership role that you don't lose sight mm -hmm. of your foundation mm -hmm. and why you went there um, and what your core beliefs are. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's very important going into a leadership role that you see shared leadership as an important element. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you don't try to take it all on yourself. Yeah. It's almost impossible, right? It is. And I would say, if, you know, when people have asked me in the past, what is your greatest challenge? And there's no doubt it, it was balance. Mm -hmm. um, I let my role the last nine years consume everything about me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not proud of that because I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. But it's hard. I, I will say it it's something that, you know, I thought when I had started my business, it was prior to having children, mm -hmm. right? So from a from a schedule standpoint, it was all about whatever I wanted to do, right? right. I, I mean, after work, I could work out. I could work more. I could work a little bit right. less. Um, you know, certainly when I had kids, I was able to draw a better boundary mm -hmm. um, so that I was there for them in the evenings. And then if I wanted to work after they went to bed, I did. But I will say it is difficult even now, 14 years in for me to set those boundaries effectively and hold myself accountable right. to those. So that's one thing we've talked about too, is yes. holding each other accountable for what our goals are and what we want it to look like. Right. And I think that that's so important because I, it's, it's very easy to forget. Absolutely. And I also think it's important to recognize when it's time to make change. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, I did, I was not planning on retiring last year. Mm -hmm. I was hoping to go another year. And it just, it was to the point where I never wanted to be that kind of administrator or educator where, you know, my staff was saying, oh, she should have retired five years ago. Because I had <laughs> all it, know people because like there, that. And yeah. I was one who would say that before. <laughs> sure. And I did not want that to be me. I wanted to go when I knew it was time to go. And it was time. Sure. Um, and I think you have to listen to your gut when that's the case. And you, you have to listen to the people who love you and the people around you. Sure to know when it's time to make a change. And change, as scary as it can be, change can be extremely fulfilling. Yeah. Um, so I, I am. I'm excited about what's ahead of me. But at the same time, you know, I think we have got to have strong leaders that come behind us and fill in those gaps. Yeah. Um, and, and continue the work because, like I said, you know, when you look at, at building culture and building – um, a legacy in a building or an environment or in a business, it takes a lot of stamina. It takes yes. a lot of energy and it takes, in my opinion, I think it takes a lot of guts. Mm -hmm. 
because I almost didn't go that route for the very long time. I was never going to be a school administrator because I cared too much about what other people thought of me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And and that is why I wasn't going to do it. I mm-hmm. was too where I didn't feel like I could be effective because I was going to worry what everybody else thought. And did you? At first, at yes. First? I still do. Right. I still do, but nothing like I did at first. Yeah. That was a huge growth piece yeah. for me. Well, and it's interesting. The, the buzzwords now are, I mean, I like to, I call it fear, I, uh, the fear mm-hmm. of the unknown, but they're calling it sort of this imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Is that people, when they reach a certain point, don't have as much confidence or are worried about what other people are judging them against. Right. Right. And I think that that what that boils down to is a little bit of fear. And, mm-hmm. and to your point, it does take guts to kind of move organizations forward. And mm-hmm. it's not easy. And it can be sticky. And and certainly, I think, especially in your field, too, it wasn't just, it didn't just stop with your staff, right? You were impacting the lives of children right. and families. And, and so... Um, to some degree, you had more impact, right, on sort of what that meant. For I hope those so. Kids. I hope so. But I know you had mentioned also earlier when you talked about the advice I would give. I think we also have to really um, make it known to upcoming leaders that you know what, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. I remember my assistant, one of my assistant principals, the very first year she was with me, we were driving back from Thanksgiving, and she screwed up, and she called me a mess. I really messed this up. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. guess what? You're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not the same exact mistake, but Absolutely. this is not going to be the first time. Yep. And so it's just like I would tell students who would come in my office for some kind of discipline <laughs> reason, you know, you made a poor choice or you made a mistake, but yes. here's the difference. You learn from this mistake and you yeah. move on. Yeah. And then it's a productive mistake. Mm-hmm. So I don't think upcoming leaders or those going into any kind of leadership positions should think that it's it's going to be, you know, all rainbows and unicorns. Mm-mm. There are going to be times where you are going to make a mistake, mm-hmm. and that's okay. That's yes. that's reality. Just learn from it. Yes. Um, and move forward. No, that's that's perfect. Well, thank you, Tiffany, for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time to share your insights and perspectives as a leader, uh, not just in education, but as you embark as an entrepreneur. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Aspire to Be podcast with Tiffany Etz. For more information on how to reach Tiffany, please follow the link provided in today's show notes. For our listeners, I challenge you as you go throughout your day to aspire to be, dare to become. You might just surprise yourself. For more information about our podcast, follow us at www.aspiretobe.co.